You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. Ellie and I are going on three years since we got engaged. It'll be on December 27th. We've been married for a little over two years now, two years and almost a month, and it has been awesome, all right? But let me tell you, the couple of months before we got engaged, so like this time, three years ago, was kind of crazy. And the reason is, is I asked Ellie's dad if I could marry her a couple of months before in October, and I got the ring, and I was just so excited. There were so many times I wanted to propose. What winded up happening was we put the ring in my parents' safe, and like once a week, I would beg them to be able to look at it so I could see it. And then we'd have to put it away because I'd want to like, let's just, I gotta go over to the house now. Like we gotta do this, right? And those first couple of, or those last couple months before we got engaged were crazy because in Ellie's mind, I, I feel like I planned this engagement pretty good. She, she's just getting mad because I haven't gotten down on one knee yet and asked her the question. She's getting mad. You need to hurry this whole thing up. You need to do this and that and the other. Well, we get to Christmas time, December 25th. We have a great Christmas. Like what I said, we get engaged on the 27th. So two days after Christmas, December the 26th comes around, the day after Christmas. And... I have a gig that night and I go out and I go buy a guitar. And Ellie's talking to me and she's like kind of ragging me about why haven't you proposed yet and this and that and the other. And then I am a dum-dum and interjecting that conversation is like, oh yeah, by the way, I bought a guitar today. And she is not happy. She's like, are you serious? Like, what are you doing? Because in her mind, our timelines are not matching up, okay? We need to be getting engaged. We need to be planning this whole thing out and you're just out here buying guitars. What are you gonna do? Are you just not gonna care about me when we get married? Like, are you gonna be out and just keep buying stuff and this and that and the other, right? She had no idea. Literally the next day we get engaged. I had the ring already. You can throw up that picture, Zeus. Wheeler, or is it Kyle? So I, yeah, Kyle. And like, look at that. I was already ready. Like it was already bought. I bought the guitar, but I'd already bought the ring months ago. I think we have another picture. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, look at that. Golly, come on. I know. We look so young. I know, I know. Ellie looks exactly the same, and I do not. There's much less hair here, a little bit more here. It's a whole thing, right? Anyways, anyways. All right, bring it back, bring it back. I say all that because in Ellie's mind, she thought that we were on different pages, but we were on the same page the entire time. We were moving in the same direction. And in fact, I feel like I surprised her pretty good with the engagement, with the party, with all the people. People came in from out of town. It winded up being an awesome thing. But she thought that we were in totally different directions. And I think oftentimes in our life, we try and constrict God in the box of what we see. You say, oh, I'm 13 or I'm 14 or I'm 16 or I'm 17 and this is what life looks like for me right now. And we forget, we have one piece of the puzzle when God sees the whole thing. 
And oftentimes we get mad at God because we think that he is not working things out for our good and for his glory. Or, or we think that this is, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me because these things aren't happening the way that I anticipated them to happen. And we'll get mad at God. When in reality, if you look back at your life, God has been faithful every single second, every single minute. And oftentimes it's in ways that you never could have imagined because again, he sees the whole picture and you only see one piece of it. And so for Ellie and I, I had a plan. There were some steps in there to confuse her. She was angry at some parts, but hey, We've been married for two years. Things are going great. There's a little child over there named Israel who's hanging out and just being loud and doing all the things. And it's awesome. Tonight, we're gonna talk a little bit about what does it look like in the midst of we serve a God who maybe doesn't do things the normal way, who maybe takes detours, who maybe uses distractions, who maybe is able to run with the distractions, and brings in the do not mess withs to show us how much he loves us. And we're gonna continue this series in John. We're in chapter four. I wanna encourage you guys that again, as we read through the book of John together, we are studying the life of Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. And we're also talking about how do I read and I study the Bible. So if you weren't here last week with Joe or the week before or the week before that, I wanna encourage you to go listen to the podcast because we do not want you to miss any of this, okay? But tonight we're gonna be in John 4 and we're gonna be reading a lot of verses. So I need you guys to buckle up, get ready, because we got a fair bit in John 4 verses 1 through, you ready for this? 42. A lot of verses, I know. But we're gonna split it up into two sections and we're gonna see how it goes, all right? So let's begin. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship 
the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So that's the first 26 verses in this chapter. And what do we see? We'll start at the very beginning. Jesus is rising in popularity. He's turning water to wine and weddings. People are seeing him. They're learning about him. He's loving people. And what is happening? His disciples are baptizing people and they start to baptize more people than John the Baptist. Remember, we've talked about John the Baptist a couple of times over the last few weeks, right? And I wanna encourage you, they're baptizing people, but baptism was a little bit different back then. So again, if you don't remember what that looks like when we talked about baptism, I wanna encourage you to go back, listen to our podcast episodes, learn what that looked like. But basically, Jesus doesn't wanna have a throwdown powwow with the Pharisees yet. Do you guys remember who the Pharisees are? Raise your hand if you know. Raise your hand. Who are they? Well, they don't like Jesus, but what did they do? Do you guys remember? I had an example. Dante came up here. Ooh, yes, right here. Yeah, they led the government and they, remember, they put on all these rules and they would always make it happen to where they were the ones who were doing the right thing, right? And they would add rules and then they would add rules and they would add rules and they were always winning and the people were always losing, right? So Jesus wasn't gonna have a battle with these Pharisees yet. And so it was time for him to leave and to go to Galilee. Well, it said that he needed to go through Samaria. And this is where we see our first point, detour, okay? What is a detour? A detour is a long roundabout way to get where you're going, okay? So let's, let's picture ourselves, we're on a road trip with our family, all right? And we are driving, where are we going to on this road trip? Where are we going? California. Calif perfect. We are going to California, on the road to California, and we're driving, we're driving, we're driving, and we're driving down the highway, and then, you know what you see? A whole lot of pile up. Cars are piled up everywhere. And so Siri or Waze or whoever comes on and says a faster route is available if you take such and such way, right? All of a sudden, you've just added three hours onto your trip to California. So what should have taken however many days because you're making stops is now taking that time plus three hours plus whatever other accidents you run into on your way. Raise your hand if you were like, man, I love wasting time in traffic and detours. If you're raising your hand, I just don't believe you. I'm sorry. So what we see is that Jesus needed to take a detour through Samaria. He needed to. Well, why is that a big deal? Well, the Jews, God's chosen people, and the Samaritans, they hated each other's guts. And I'll tell you why. They were a long time ago together. And then the Babylonians came into town and they broke everybody up. They invaded and they took some people and brought them back captive to Babylon. And they took the best people, the brightest people, the best looking, the, the people with the most money. They took them to Babylon and they left the poor people in 
Israel. And they became the Samaritan people. And what happens? The Samaritan people, the poor people who were left behind, began to do things a little bit differently. They stopped following God's law and started adopting different things from different people that they saw. And the Jewish people who got taken to Babylon, well, they kept following God's law. Eventually, the Jewish people make it back and they hate these poor people who are not doing it the right way. And so they would not cross the street on the same side as the Samaritan. If they were going somewhere, they avoided Samaria at all costs because they did not wanna get around these people. They would stick their nose up at them, right? Well, Jesus, he was a Jew and Jesus needed to go through Samaria. You see, it was necessary that he would do that. And why? Well, we're gonna see as we continue to look at this story It was because God's plan, God's redemptive work through Jesus dying on the cross is for every single person, not just the Jews. So our first point detour is that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. What's the next thing? Distractions. Jesus, on his way to Galilee through Samaria, he got tired and he got thirsty, all right? How cool would it be if you were on this road trip to California and not once did you have to deal with the distraction of finding a gas station because your little brother who had to pee 15 seconds ago has to pee again. How cool would it be to just be able to straight shoot it? You don't even have to worry about using the bathroom. That'd be pretty sick, right? You just do it. I was actually on a plane the other day and one of the renovation church staffers had to get into the aisle because I had to go pee pee and we're still working through it together because he did not wanna have to get up. But it'd be great to be able to go on a road trip and not have to worry about using the bathroom. That distraction is something that Jesus also had to deal with. We see the word became flesh in John 1:14, And what do we see? Jesus, he had a limited time that he was doing miracles for people, that he was loving people, that he was caring for people. Do you guys know how long Jesus's earthly ministry was? You guys have, yes, right here. Three years, right? Three to three and a half years, we think that Jesus did this earthly ministry. That would be about 1,095 and three quarters days or two 1,278.38 days. I did the math on that, y'all. Y'all need to, that's a pretty big deal, right? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's the thing. We are talking about, we're talking about Jesus 2,000 years after he died. He's savior of the world. He's Messiah. He's God's son. He had to maximize that three years that he was doing ministry and that he was healing people, right? So Jesus shouldn't have to worry about dealing with distractions. He shouldn't have to worry about things that get him off the path of having to be the savior of the world, right? Well, what we're gonna talk about is something that's seen as a distraction for us, taking us away from our focus. Jesus doesn't see it that way. Again, he gets tired and he gets thirsty, but at the end of the day, he's able to love this Samaritan woman and love these Samaritan people and bring them in to the family of God. So Jesus will take any detour. Jesus will, will not have to worry about a distraction. He will actually use that as an opportunity to bring people in. So here's the next point, the do not mess withs. Jesus sought out 
the Samaritan woman. We just talked about a second ago that Jews and Samaritans, did they like each other? No, they did not like each other one bit. They hated each other. They avoided each other. And Jesus first told his disciples that we need to go through Samaria. And then Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman. And Jesus, he was referred to as a rabbi. Do you guys know what a rabbi is? A teacher, that's perfect, yes. A rabbi's a teacher. And there's a lot of things that rabbis did do. There's a lot of things that rabbis didn't do. I'm gonna tell you some things that rabbis didn't do. Rabbis didn't talk to Samaritans. That's thing number one, okay? Thing number two, you ready? Rabbis didn't talk to women. So before you guys get upset, I wanted to see how long it would take. This is, what, this is a cultural thing that happened then. A lot of times rabbis would not talk to women in public. They wouldn't even talk to their wives in public. It actually was so bad that there was a rabbi, they were called, um, it was something like the bleeding and bruised, but they literally would close their eyes and run. And oftentimes they would run into buildings or trees or run into a hole and get hurt because they were trying to get away. It was really, really bad, right? But also we see in this story that Jesus talks to this lady and she said she's had five husbands before and the person she's living with, that's not even her husband right now. So this lady obviously is living life a little bit differently than the way that we should be living life, right? But what do we see in this story? That Jesus sought her out. That made perfect. That means that Jesus actually initiated, started the conversation with her. So he was the one who sat down by the well and when she came over, him being a rabbi, him being a teacher that shouldn't talk to a Samaritan, that shouldn't talk to a woman, he asked her, he started the conversation. He broke all the social rules, all the social norms. He interrupted, he did what he shouldn't have done by tradition in order to love this woman. You see, what Jeffrey was talking about in worship, so many of us feel like we are too far gone. We are too bad. We have messed up too badly. And Jesus has actually sought us out. Scripture says that while we were yet dead in our sin, Christ died for us. What I want you guys to see is that Jesus doesn't care about who you are doesn't care about your race or your class or your social status or how smart you are. He died for you. He loves you. So that's the do not mess with. He initiated this conversation and he offered something greater than the life that she was living. And what did he offer her? He offered her living water. Well, what's living water, okay? Well, we are a little obsessed as people with having cold drinks. Raise your hand if your drink is not cold, you ain't gonna drink it. A lot of us, right? Raise your hand if you only drink drinks at a certain temperature. Raise your hand if room temperature water disgusts you. Raise your hand if on a hot day, you're okay drinking hot water. Y'all are crazy, y'all are crazy. So us as people, listen, we will spend absurd amount of money 
on coolers to be able to keep our drinks cold. Like at game day, tailgate, at the beach, at the lake, when you're out on the backyard and you wanna have a cold CZ Coke Zero, baby, you know what you do? You put it in the cooler and it stays cold. And we make sure that our coolers have the tight, the best, airtight technology to seal them things in there, waterproof, can float, all of that stuff. And we spend mad money on it, all right? I got a couple of different coolers just to demonstrate this. First off, we got, we got a, real, a real cheap one that I don't think anybody would be like, man, I, I want that cooler real bad. Show them that igloo. Show them that, so, now that's the call. Yeah, so, well, 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 you got the igloo, you got the red boy, you got the red boy. That's, look at that thing. That is, I don't know if any of you guys who dream about coolers, that'll run you like $29. I don't think you dream about that cooler, okay? That's not it. Now, let's skip the Coleman. There's another cooler called the Cater Gator. This is about $129. It looks like a knockoff of a cooler that we're gonna get to, but that one is pretty good, right? It'll keep your stuff cold. It's got the nice handles, right? Well, what about, there's a brand that you guys use for your cups, for your coolers, for your hat. What brand is it? Yeah, show them that Yeti. So this Yeti Tundra, Ray, hey, raise your hand if you have, have had one of these around you and enjoyed the fresh coldness. There you go. That's it right there, right? That is your tailgate. That's your beach. That's the cooler you want, right? The Yeti. Listen, do you know how much your mom and dad paid for that cooler? No, well, 500, yes. This is a little boy. Little boys are 350. That's stupid. That is so much money, okay? So $350 and it says it'll keep your drinks cold for about a day. Well, Yeti isn't the top of the top, y'all. I'm gonna let you know that. I was doing some research and there's a brand, don't show it yet. There's a brand called Angle and apparently, it keeps your stuff cold for 10 days. I'm talking 10 day coolage, all right? Show them that angle cooler. Show them the angle real quick. Here we go. Look at that thing. That, thing, that thing's like the Tesla of coolers, all right? Look at that, all right? Listen, do you know how much this cooler costs? $1,200. Some of y'all literally, if you guys did every single chore, you wouldn't even be able to buy the Yeti, let alone the angle. Like, I don't even know if I've seen $1,200 in my life. Like, this is, it's crazy, right? That's stupid. Well, here's the thing. That's not even the best, okay? Listen, so it, let's say that I'm a billionaire and I'm hanging out with my billionaire buddies and we're going on a picnic in Falls Park. I don't wanna take the cheap angle cooler that keeps stuff cold for 10 days. I don't wanna take that because I'm a billionaire, okay? I make more money than that, right? Well, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Rolls Royce before. So Rolls Royce are cars that quite literally retail for like over a million dollars for a car. There is a cooler known as the Rolls-Royce Champagne Chest that is specially built for champagne toasts, specially built for caviar or hors d'oeuvres or whatever that 
begins retail at a very modest, slim $47,350. Show them that cooler. Show them that cool. Are you serious? So like, so, all right, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. So like, from what I understand, I can't find nothing about it because it's one of them things that is so rich that if you are poor, you're gonna look it up, but a rich person is gonna get it and they don't have to look it up, right? So apparently you like touch it and it like opens up and like all the things happen, right? That doesn't even look like it's an efficient cooler. Like it probably only keeps your stuff cold for like a day, but $47,000, here's my point. As people, we want our stuff cold we want it at the temperature we like. We want to be comfortable. We want to be good. And we'll spend absurd amounts of money to not only drink cold water, but to look good doing it. Okay? So here's the thing. When Jesus is talking to this woman, he's telling her, hey, even if you drink the coldest water on the coldest day or the, the hottest day and it's the best mountain spring water that you've ever had and it satisfies your soul so much, you're gonna be thirsty again. Even if you drink out of the Rolls Royce champagne chest, just beautiful like ice water, I'm talking instantly, it like touches your lips and you have a brain freeze temperature, like you're gonna get thirsty again. What Jesus is saying is that as people, we're constantly going to be looking for something that's only found in him. He's saying, bring your burdens to me and I'll give you peace. Bring your troubles to me and I'll give you joy in the midst of them. Bring your dead life that is dead in sin to me and recognize I'm dying on your behalf and that you get eternal life in exchange for that. This woman had to walk all the way to the well. She had to sweat getting there. She had to do it in the middle of the day because she was a social outcast. She had to draw up the water and what happened? She probably got tired even after she drank some of the water that she drew up. She probably got thirsty again because it was hot in the middle of the day. Jesus is saying that there's something more and it's found in me. So that's what living water means. And then he says, spirit and truth. Well, what is spirit and truth? Spirit and truth is this. It's recognizing Truth being that we worship because of what the Bible says, because of all the goodness, the, what we would call doctrine, the truth inside of it. The one-stop one shop for truth is Jesus, and it's found in Scripture. And what is spirit? Spirit is recognizing that as Jesus died for us, he rose again, we got this thing, the Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, God with us, and we no longer have to go to a certain place. You see, to encounter God, it doesn't have to be on a Wednesday night, or it doesn't have to be at a retreat, or this or that or the other. You can encounter God sitting in your fifth period class just as much as you can here. Because Emmanuel, God with us, lives with you. That's what it looks like, spirit and truth. We recognize the truth of God that requires us to change the changing work of Jesus in my heart and my life. And we recognize that God is always with us and he's here and he loves us. So that's what he offers this woman, right? And let's see what happens in the rest of the story. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of the words and many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So we see that Jesus took the detour of going through Samaria to win a whole people over to God, to invite a whole group of people who were despised into the family of God, right? He dealt with the distractions of being tired and being weary because it meant that he would be able to talk to this woman and show her love and show her care. He would be able to say, you know what? I am God and that I'm all knowing because I know what you've done. I know how bad it is, but I'm gonna love you through it. But do not mess with the Samaritan woman. And what do we see through the rest of this chapter? We see that Jesus is for us. He's for every single person in this room. There's, there's no tradition or status or social standard or anything like that that would stop him. So stop saying I'm too far gone or I'm too weird or I talk too much or Jesus wouldn't wanna be around me. One of the greatest truths that I've ever learned in my life is that not only does Jesus love me, but Jesus likes me. Jesus chose to die for you. He chose to do it. Recognize that, that Jesus is for you. And Jesus got hungry and he got thirsty. And he wasn't saying that these things weren't important, right? There's this weird little bit of passage in the scripture that, that the disciples bring him some food and Jesus is like, well, no, I don't need that food because I already ate. And they're like, what, what do you mean, Jesus? And Jesus is like, well, my food is to do the, the will of God and this and that and the other. What does that all mean? Jesus is saying, I get tired, I get thirsty. But the thing that's most important right now is to do God's will in loving these people and showing them that they are loved by God, inviting them into the family of God. And then what do we see? We see that Jesus wasn't finished there. In fact, he actually stayed two days to show the Samaritans who he was. Because if you, re, if you reread the passage, you see the Samaritan woman, she got Jesus some water and she dropped her pail and then she ran to the city to tell everybody about what Jesus had done, right? She left her water. She comes back with some people because she's like, this dude told me everything I ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And they're like, sure, well, I don't know. And they see, what am I telling you? I'm telling you that Jesus not only cares enough to start the initial conversation, Jesus cares enough to stay in it. Have you all ever met somebody in your life who becomes your friend right off the bat when things are good and the minute you start going through some crap, they're out of there? Raise your hand if you've ever been in that spot. A lot of us, Jesus isn't like that. He's not. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And in that time, he stayed with the Samaritans so they didn't just have the words of this Samaritan woman. 
They had the actions of Jesus. And so I want you guys to recognize that, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is for you. And Jesus is faithful. He doesn't go anywhere. So that's what we need to see about Jesus. The son of God became flesh, got tired, got thirsty, and he did it for us. But what I want us to also see and a challenge to myself and a challenge to you is how many times in your life have you been walking through the lunchroom and you see somebody sitting by themselves and because they don't look like you or they don't have the same friend group as you or because they're weird, because you don't know how you can relate to them, you pass up an opportunity to share with them the love of Jesus because they look different. You see, the Samaritan woman and the Samarians in that town never would have experienced who Jesus is had he passed up that opportunity to love her first. And so in our life, what are we doing to love others because he has loved us? All right? Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.